0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
1: On the morning of April 21st, 1980, the 84th annual Boston Marathon began in Hopkinton, Massachusetts. Over 5,000 runners and nearly half a million spectators gathered for the big race.
0: About two hours after the marathon began, the first runners began to finish. The first was, as expected, the number one
1: male runner in the world, Bill Rogers. As he crossed the finish line, Rogers won his third straight Boston Marathon with a time of two hours, 12 minutes, and 11 seconds. 20 minutes later, the first woman approached the finish
0: line. Fans stood up, expecting to see famed Canadian runner Jacqueline Guerreau. Instead, they saw an unknown runner that not even the most obsessive
1: running expert recognized. It was Rosie Ruiz, a 26-year-old administrative assistant from New York, running in her second ever marathon. Ruiz looked exhausted, her arms flailing wildly as if she was swimming her way to the finish line. When Ruiz crossed the finish line, the LED timer listed her time as two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. She hadn't just won the race. She'd also set the fastest women's marathon time in American history. Ruiz grimaced and smiled as she finished the race. She had seemingly
0: accomplished the impossible, coming out of nowhere to win the most celebrated long-distance running event in the world. But it was all a lie. Rosie Ruiz hadn't set a record time. She hadn't even
1: run the race. Welcome to Sports Criminals, a Parcast Original. Every week, we dive into the dark side of sports history and look at athletes who not only broke the law, but broke the rules and covenants of their sport. We'll also uncover how their actions impacted the history of the sport they played. I'm Tim Johnson. And I'm Carter Roy. You can find episodes of Sports Criminals and all other
0: Parcast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Sports Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Sports Criminals in the search bar.
1: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
0: Today, we're discussing Rosie Ruiz, who came out of nowhere to win the 1980 Boston Marathon, only for it to be revealed later that she won
1: the race by cheating. This week, we'll explore Ruiz's beginnings and how she lied to win the Boston Marathon. Next week, we'll cover the fallout of the marathon and how Ruiz's life changed afterwards. Rosie Ruiz's
0: early life is shrouded in mystery. What's known is that she was born in Havana, Cuba on June 21st, 1953. When she was eight years old, she and her mother moved to Miami, Florida. Miami felt like an entirely new and alien world to young Ruiz. She was overwhelmed and isolated, living in a new country and city, surrounded by a language she didn't speak. She started running both as a way to escape her anxiety and as a way to come to terms with her new
1: surroundings. Sometime later, she was separated from her mother and sent to Hollywood, Florida to live with her aunts and uncles. Again, she took to running to cope. She began running cross-country in high school, but had to stop when she suffered a knee injury that required surgery. Even running, the one thing she clung to, was taken away from her. After high school, she left Florida to study music at Wayne State
0: College in Nebraska. It was another new world for her, but she learned to adapt. One year into her college career, Ruiz's life was thrown for a loop
1: when she was involved in a serious car crash. She suffered a blow to the head in the accident. It left her with chronic, severe headaches and occasional blackouts. These lingered far longer than could be explained by the crash, so in late 1973, she flew back to Miami where doctors could examine her.
0: After a battery of tests, they found the cause of her headaches, a tumor the size of a tangerine embedded in her skull. Shockingly, the doctors told her that the tumor
1: had been there since she was born. At 20 years old, Ruiz underwent brain surgery to remove the mass. Luckily, the growth turned out to be benign.
0: In 1977, after graduating from college, Ruiz decided not to return to Miami. Instead, she threw herself into yet another new city, the Big Apple. At this point, Ruiz was comfortable with constant moves and new surroundings and even liked it. She moved into a high-rise apartment near Times Square with two roommates and got a job as an administrative assistant for a metal trading company.
1: But shortly after she moved to New York, she had her first brush with the law. In late 1977, Ruiz allegedly stole credit cards from an acquaintance's apartment and racked up $1,500 in false charges. The acquaintance lodged a complaint with the NYPD, but Ruiz paid restitution and the charges were dropped. Compounding her legal
0: issues were her continuing health issues. In September of 1978, Ruiz's doctors discovered a small defect in her skull left over from the first brain surgery. She needed another operation so a plastic plate could be inserted in her
1: skull. Throughout her life, Ruiz had turned to running to cope with her problems. So in February 1979, when she finally felt physically well enough, 24-year-old Rosie Ruiz once again began running. She managed to log 100 miles a week, either running through Central Park or by training on an exercise bike in her apartment. After a few months of running, Ruiz decided she was ready to put herself to the test. She wanted to run a marathon. A Marathon is a grueling long-distance
0: run of 26 miles and 385 yards. It takes its name and inspiration from the legend of Philippides, who in 490 BCE ran from the Battle of Marathon to the city of Athens to announce the Greeks' victory
1: over the Persians. The distance between those two points, about 26 miles, became the basis of the modern marathon. The sport was invented for the first Olympic Games in April 1896 in Athens, Greece. By the mid 20th century, completing a marathon had become one of the most prestigious feats an athlete could accomplish. And Rosie Ruiz wanted to prove herself an accomplished athlete.
0: It was a huge jump for her. While she had been taking running seriously, Ruiz was not an experienced long-distance runner. She had likely never run anything close to marathon length, but she was determined to try. Ruiz tried to fill out an application for the New York Marathon, but discovered that the deadline had passed. She contacted the marathon's organizers and asked for special dispensation, claiming she was dying of brain cancer convinced
1: by her story, the marathon's organizers allowed her to turn in the application late. On the application, Ruiz listed her expected finishing time as just over four hours, about average for a marathon and a very respectable time for a first-time runner.
0: On the morning of October 21st, 1979, Ruiz arrived at Fort Wadsworth on Staten Island to compete in the New York City Marathon. It was the largest New York Marathon since the event's inception in 1970, with 11,533 runners, including 4,600 first-timers like Ruiz. An estimated crowd of 2.5 million spectators gathered along the race route to cheer the runners on. Ruiz checked in at Fort Wadsworth, received a number, and took her place waiting among the massive crowd of runners. At 9 a.m., the starting cannon fired. The race was on.
1: To give herself an out, Ruiz asked her roommate to meet her eight miles into the race to check if she wanted to drop out. When Ruiz reached the eight mile mark, she looked up and saw her roommate waving at her from the crowd. Ruiz shook her head, telling her roommate that she felt good and was going to finish. She was not going to quit.
0: Somewhere near the 10 mile mark near 19th Street in Brooklyn, Ruiz had a change of heart. Either due to injury or due to exhaustion, she walked off the course and left the race. That didn't mean she had given up on her goal of finishing, however. Far from it. She had just decided to take a little shortcut.
1: Ruiz descended into the subway system and got onto the one train going north into Manhattan. She took a seat and kept her head down, trying not to draw any attention to herself. With thousands of people participating in the New York Marathon, it wouldn't have seemed that unusual to see a runner on the train. After a few stops,
0: Ruiz felt more comfortable and struck up a conversation with a woman named Susan Morrow who was sitting next to her. As it turned out, the two of them were going to the
1: same place, the marathon's finish line in Central Park. Ruiz told Morrow that she'd twisted her ankle at the 10-mile mark of the marathon, but wanted to cheer on the other runners at the end of the race. Morrow was headed to see her friend cross the finish line.
0: Ruiz and her new friend got off the subway at Columbus Circle and made their way into Central Park. Ruiz was noticeably limping and would occasionally lean on Maro's shoulder as they pushed through the crowd and police barricades to get to the finish
1: line. As they made their way through the crowd, Ruiz grabbed a can of juice and poured it over her head. Morrow thought that was odd, but reasoned that it was a quirky runner's habit. When the two of them reached the final barricade, Ruiz declared herself an injured runner and was helped into the medical tent. Then Ruiz
0: told the medical staff at the marathon that she'd already completed the race. They credited her a time of 2 hours, 56 minutes, and 29 seconds, ranking her at 23rd place among all women. That time also qualified her for the Boston Marathon, one of the
1: most famous and celebrated running events in the world. After briefly receiving treatment on her ankle, Ruiz emerged from the medical tent and found Moro. They exchanged contact information, and Ruiz suggested the two could have lunch the next week. Then Ruiz disappeared into the crowd. Ruiz loved everything about the marathon. The thrill of the
0: race's beginning, the camaraderie with other runners, and the victory of finishing. The only part she didn't like was having to actually run all 26 miles.
1: But she had seemingly found a way around that. When she returned to work the following Monday, Ruiz received a hero's welcome. Her co-workers were shocked and impressed by her achievement, and Ruiz soaked in the attention. Her
0: boss, who also happened to be a runner, was particularly impressed. After finding out that her time qualified her for the Boston Marathon, he generously offered to pay for Ruiz's trip to compete in April. Ruiz graciously accepted.
1: But despite her supposed successes, all was not well for Rosie Ruiz. In the days and weeks following her surprisingly strong finish in the New York Marathon, she began to feel increasingly nervous. Her fraudulent act hadn't just impressed her roommates and friends. It had also created expectations among her coworkers and her boss that now had to be met. She couldn't risk letting them all down. Even worse, if she performed badly in Boston, she'd risk revealing that her New York marathon finish was a lie. So she trained with the intention of running the full race.
0: In addition to wanting to prove herself, Ruiz also knew that her cheat in New York wasn't guaranteed to work in Boston, which was a more prestigious race with greater media attention and scrutiny. In the five months between the New York Marathon and the Boston Marathon,
1: Ruiz ran as much as she could outside of work. As the race approached in the spring of 1980, however, Ruiz likely knew she wasn't ready. The truth was, she wouldn't be able to legitimately come close to the two hours, 56 minutes she supposedly accomplished in New York, and it was even more likely that she wouldn't be able to finish the race at all. But she couldn't quit. She had to see it through.
0: On April 20th, 1980, the night before the marathon, Ruiz called her mother in Miami. She asked her mother to pray for her and said that she needed to win. Her mother replied that she always prayed for her.
1: The next morning, Ruiz left her hotel and walked to the starting area of the 1980 Boston Marathon. It would be the most consequential day of her entire life.
0: When we come back, Rosie Ruiz takes on the Boston Marathon. Now, back to the story.
1: As 26-year-old Rosie Ruiz stepped up to the starting line of the 1980 Boston Marathon, she felt a huge amount of pressure to perform. Not only did she feel the personal pressure to replicate her supposedly great finish in the 1979 New York Marathon, but she also felt as though she was carrying the burden of the women who came before her. She couldn't let herself do significantly worse
0: in Boston, let alone fail to finish and risk revealing that her performance in New York was a lie. Too much was at stake, her reputation, her job, and possibly even the reputation of women's long distance running.
1: The Boston Marathon was one of the first races established after the 1896 Olympics and was first held one year later on April 19, 1897. Quickly, it established itself as one of the most respected and celebrated running events in the world, and remains today the world's oldest annual marathon. When
0: marathons first began, they were only open to male runners, and it took nearly 75 years for the Boston Marathon to be open to women. In 1966... 24-year-old Roberta Gibb submitted an application for the Boston Marathon, but was rejected by the race director, who stated that women were
1: physiologically incapable of running long distances. Gibb refused to accept that. Instead, she took a bus from San Diego to Boston and hid in the bushes as the race started. After a few moments, and wearing a bulky sweater, she surreptitiously jumped into the crowd of runners.
0: Within a few minutes, the runners around realized that Gib was a woman and gave her their support. After they told Gib that they wouldn't let the race organizers throw her out, Gib took off her sweatshirt and revealed her gender. By the end of the marathon, she was a celebrity. The governor of Massachusetts arrived to shake her
1: hand as she crossed the finish line. Still, the race refused to allow women, but Gib had inspired them to run it anyway. The next year, -year 29-year-old Catherine Switzer registered as a male to get a number and penny, then finished the race despite a race official's attempt to physically remove her from the race.
0: Thanks to the efforts of women like Gibb and Switzer, the amateur athletics union
1: finally permitted women to run in marathons in 1972. That year, eight women started the race and all finished. By the time Rosie Ruiz arrived in Boston in 1980, the number of women running had risen to 456, still a fraction compared to the 5,000 male runners.
0: When Rosie Ruiz woke up on the morning of April 21st, 1980, she may have intended on running the race legitimately, Despite her lies about finishing in the New York Marathon, she might have still been conflicted about doing the same in Boston, and may have wanted to prove to herself that she could run the entire race. But cheating was always an option. The weather was warm that morning when Rosie Ruiz left her hotel. She took the train to the suburb of Hopkinton, where she met 455 other women and over 5,000 men at the starting line of the marathon. She received the official number W50, signifying that she was the 50th ranked woman in the race
1: thanks to her supposed finish in New York. Jacqueline Garreau, a Canadian runner, was the favorite to win the women's race. She'd won the National Capital Marathon in Ottawa the year before, and many of the spectators in Boston that day were there to see if Garreau could win another. Guerrero's stiffest competition was with American Patty Lyons, who came in second in the New York Marathon.
0: 26-year-old Rosie Ruiz was not on anyone's radar, despite her high rank and her strong finish in New York. But Ruiz was there to win
1: and was willing to do whatever it took to achieve first place. The starting gun was fired. Fans cheered as Rosie Ruiz and the 5,000 other runners set off on their 26-mile journey, shoulder to shoulder in a massive swarm. It wasn't long before her
0: legs and feet began to tire. Her breathing became more labored. Ruiz, deep down, understood that all of her training hadn't truly prepared her for a full
1: marathon. She was never going to finish all 26 miles. Not long into the race, Ruiz had a momentous decision to make. She could admit her own shortcomings and quit, but she thought about the consequences she might face. What would happen if her boss, who paid for her to run in the Boston Marathon, found out that she hadn't even made it halfway? The other option was to cheat. She'd already gotten away with it in
0: New York, and she believed she could easily get away with it again so she made her decision. She turned and abruptly jogged off the race route. Just
1: like she had in New York, Ruiz took a shortcut. After exiting the race, Ruiz found a quiet place to wait for an hour, staying as far away from view as she could. When enough time had passed to make her finishing time believable, she made her way to the nearest train station and took the hour-long train ride to Kenmore Square in Boston. Ruiz was more careful
0: than she'd been in New York. She kept to herself and didn't strike up a conversation with anyone as she boarded the Green Line train. The train was crowded and Ruiz's heart pounded as it crawled toward Boston, desperately hoping that no one would make
1: eye contact and ask her about the marathon number on her shirt. No one did. Ruiz made it to Boston without being noticed. When
0: Ruiz reached her destination, she left the train and headed for the finish line. Slipping through the busy crowd, Ruiz started running as she approached the race.
1: Just over two hours after the race began, Rosie Ruiz emerged from the crowd of cheering spectators and seamlessly merged with the marathon runners. She glanced behind her, then to her left and right. None of the spectators, nor any of the other runners, seemed to recognize that anything was amiss.
0: However, Ruiz had rejoined the race far ahead of any other female runners. It's possible that she simply misjudged her jump into the marathon. However, it's also possible that, like she told her mother, she felt as though she
1: needed to win and tried her best to do exactly that. After jumping onto the course, Ruiz reportedly ran the last mile of the race. She built up enough sweat to look convincing enough to most spectators, and the enthusiastic crowd cheered her on as she stumbled past the finish line exactly two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds after the race began.
0: Rosie Ruiz had fought her way through car crashes, brain surgeries, and numerous personal problems to win the most prestigious running event in the world. She was no longer Rosie Ruiz's administrative assistant. She was now Rosie Ruiz's Boston Marathon champion.
1: After crossing the finish line, Ruiz put on a good show and played the part of a marathon runner. Exhausted looking, she nearly collapsed into the arms of two police officers. Photographers and TV cameramen focused their lenses on the victorious Ruiz as she limped, with the officer's help, away from the finish line. Other runners congratulated Ruiz as she passed, which she acknowledged with a smile. Ruiz made it to the victory stand
0: where race officials congratulated her and placed a laurel wreath on her head. Suddenly energetic, Ruiz waved to the crowd and beamed, taking
1: in all of the attention. She had gotten away with her lie. Rosie Ruiz had become, in the blink of an eye, a famed marathon champion. Three minutes after Rosie Ruiz finished,
0: Jacqueline Garreau crossed the finish line and was met with a polite cheer from the crowd. Garreau immediately noticed that the cheers weren't as loud as she expected... She looked up to the winner's stand and saw Rosie Ruiz with a wreath and a medal and was confused. She hadn't seen Ruiz at any point in the
1: entire race. Guerrero finished with a time of two hours, 34 minutes, and 28 seconds, a new personal best. But there was no fanfare or laurel wreath for her, no prize for second place. Ruiz had beaten the women's record by nearly three minutes. On the victory stage,
0: Rosie Ruiz took her place alongside men's winner, Bill Rogers. Rogers took one look at Ruiz and furrowed his brow. He expected to be standing
1: alongside Jacqueline Garreau. The first words Rogers said to Ruiz were simply, Who are you? As Ruiz innocently introduced herself, Rogers took a closer look at her and quickly realized that something was fishy. Ruiz was wearing a thick shirt with sleeves, despite the fact that all elite long
0: distance runners preferred thin, sleeveless shirts. Even stranger, there were no sweat stains on her uniform. She didn't seem nearly as exhausted as Rogers knew she would be after finishing a marathon. On top of all that, Ruiz simply didn't physically look like she was in shape to be a marathon runner.
1: However, it was too late to stop the celebrations. Massachusetts Governor Edward King shook Ruiz and Rogers' hands as he awarded them their medals and congratulated them on their victories. As
0: the two winners stood together on the podium, Rogers made small talk with Ruiz. He asked her what her splits were and was met with a blank stare. Ruiz didn't know that splits were her race time divided into smaller parts. That confirmed it for Rogers' she definitely hadn't run the race.
1: Rogers, the race organizers, and members of the press were beginning to realize what had happened. But Ruiz, for the moment, was victorious. She was on top of the world. Down in the crowd, Bill Rogers' brother Charlie watched and
0: began to feel physically ill. He also realized that Ruiz didn't look like a marathon runner and that there must have been a mistake. As the medal ceremony concluded, Charlie set off to find a race official to tell them of his suspicions. Within five minutes of Ruiz's victory, the organizers of the marathon knew something had
1: gone terribly wrong. When we come back, Rosie Ruiz faces serious questions about her shocking marathon victory. Now, back to the story.
0: On April 21st, 1980, 26-year-old administrative assistant Rosie Ruiz came out of nowhere to win the Boston Marathon. It was a great story, an amateur runner with only one other race to her name who beat the
1: odds to win the marathon. It seemed too good to be true, because it was. Rosie Ruiz hadn't run the marathon at all. She had cheated. Suspicion started to mount immediately after
0: Ruiz crossed the finish line. It started with a male winner, Bill Rogers, who could sense that Ruiz hadn't run 26 miles. A few minutes after Ruiz was given her medal, she was pulled into a television interview with Katherine Switzer, who had run the marathon in 1967 by registering as a man. Switzer introduced Ruiz to the world as the winner of the marathon and possibly a new American women's running record holder.
1: First, Switzer asked Ruiz how many marathons she'd run before. Ruiz responded that this was her second, after the New York marathon only a few months before, with a time of two hours and 56 minutes. Switzer asked what Ruiz attributed
0: her 20-minute improvement to. Between pauses to sneeze and cough, Ruiz simply said she didn't know. Like Bill Rogers, Switzer began to feel doubt, so she tried to dig deeper. She asked Ruiz if she'd been training with a lot of heavy intervals, workouts designed to increase speed.
1: Ruiz, laughing, replied that she didn't even know what intervals were. Switzer's unease was evident in her expression when she ended the interview, noting that Ruiz was a mystery woman who seemingly evaded all of the marathon's checkpoints on her way to a victory.
0: By the time the two winners were brought in front of a group of reporters for a news conference, The confusion over Ruiz's out-of-nowhere victory had turned into suspicion.
1: Reporters followed Switzer's lead and peppered Ruiz with questions. Ruiz's answers left the reporters more skeptical than they'd been before. She said she'd only been running long distances for a year and a half, didn't have a coach or advisor, and didn't know what time splits were. To explain why she didn't seem tired after running an entire marathon, Ruiz said she'd gotten up with a lot of energy that morning.
0: When asked how it was possible that no other female runner had spotted her during the race, she offered three explanations. First, she had paced herself off of the men. Second, she was so new to the sport that no one knew who she was. And finally, her short hair must have made the other runners assume she
1: was male. The reporters were now certain that something was wrong with Rosie Ruiz and her victory. By the time the final marathon runner crossed the finish line, just over an hour after Ruiz's finish, rumors and speculation were spreading rapidly. Adding fuel to the fire were comments from Jacqueline Garreau and Patty Lyons, stating that neither of them saw any woman pass them during the race.
0: After the press conference, Bill Rogers went right to the Boston Marathon race director, Will Cloney, and told him that there was no way Ruiz had run the race.
1: Cloney knew he had to handle the situation carefully. He was concerned about the effect a cheating scandal might have on the reputation of the Boston Marathon. A few hours after the race,
0: Cloney met with Rosie Ruiz at her hotel so she could tell her side of the story. Ruiz brought along her friend, Steve Merrick, the president of a running club
1: she joined the week before the marathon, who claimed he could vouch for Ruiz. Ruiz defiantly maintained that she ran the whole race and won it fair and square. Merrick backed up Ruiz's story as much as he could, specifically noting that he saw her at the starting line in Hopkinton. However, neither Merrick nor anyone else saw Ruiz at any other point in the race. Cloney left the
0: hotel that night unsure of the truth. Ruiz was convincing, but so was Rogers. Only one thing was clear. The Boston Marathon was now embroiled in a major controversy, and it was up to Cloney and the Boston Athletic Association to find out what really happened.
1: While Cloney began investigating, the marathon winner's victory lap continued normally. Early the next morning, on April 22, 1980, Rosie Ruiz and Bill Rogers were brought to the set of a local TV show called Good Day Live to be interviewed about their wins.
0: Roger's uneasiness about Ruiz had overtaken his own personal satisfaction about winning the race. He wasn't just concerned that Jacqueline Guerreau had been cheated out of a medal. Like Will Cloney, he was worried about the effect a scandal like this might have on the
1: sport as a whole. Before going on to the set, Rogers pulled Ruiz aside and privately delivered a stern warning. He told her that if anything had gone wrong during the marathon, she needed to admit it as soon as possible. Ruiz hesitated. Tears
0: appeared at the corners of her eyes. For a split second, Rogers believed that
1: Ruiz was going to confess. Instead, Ruiz shook her head and, crying, repeatedly stated that she'd won legitimately. Rogers decided to let it go for the moment, and the two went ahead with the TV appearance.
0: By the time of their TV interview, the whispers about Ruiz had grown louder and suspicion escalated. The TV host, citing an article written by a running expert in the New York Post asked both Ruiz and Rogers about the reported belief
1: that her improvement from the New York Marathon to Boston was physically impossible. Rogers answered diplomatically, saying that while improvement is possible, he couldn't conceive of a 20-minute improvement. He then said that Ruiz would need to resolve these questions. Ruiz herself remained quiet.
0: Outside the TV studio, the controversy only mounted. That morning, race director Will Cloney announced that he had opened an investigation into the allegations against
1: Rosie Ruiz. It wouldn't be an easy or straightforward task to determine whether Rosie Ruiz cheated. The Boston Marathon didn't record the times of every individual runner as they reached one of the race's numerous checkpoints.
0: Instead, the marathon only recorded the numbers of the first 100 runners at each checkpoint. Since the first 100 runners were all male, none of the women's times were recorded at any checkpoint. Instead of relying on checkpoint evidence, Cloney would need to closely review recordings of the TV broadcast and eyewitness testimony.
1: A team of experts, including Catherine Switzer, reviewed three sets of video from the race and couldn't identify Rosie Ruiz on any of them. Nor could they find Ruiz on one of the informal lists of the top five women runners at any point in the race.
0: As the scrutiny intensified, Rosie Ruiz returned home to New York City, but she couldn't escape the controversy. The press was beginning to hound her, now explicitly questioning the validity of her victory. The questions only got louder as the story grew into a nationwide scandal. The concerns led the New York Marathon to open their own investigation into Ruiz's
1: 23rd place finish. Reporters dug into Rosie Ruiz's life story, traveling to Miami and Nebraska searching for clues. They didn't find much, though classmates at Wayne State College did remember that Ruiz was an avid jogger.
0: Ruiz sought refuge in her apartment from the constant media attention, but dogged reporters still followed. Some even resorted to sneaking past the building's security guards to go directly to Ruiz's door. Eventually, Ruiz and her roommates abandoned the apartment and moved somewhere secret. There... Ruiz hunkered down and tried to ride out the storm. With the constant media attention and the looming threat of disqualification, Ruiz felt as though she were living in a nightmare.
1: Throughout every interaction with her roommates, friends, or reporters who managed to track her down, Ruiz never wavered. She stuck to her story. She had run the entire race. Meanwhile, investigations continued in both Boston and New York to determine if she was lying. In Boston, officials and reporters interviewed the runners who
0: finished next to Ruiz. None of them saw her during the race. In New York, officials reviewed videotape of every runner that crossed the finish line
1: and couldn't find Ruiz. None of the mounting circumstantial evidence was enough, however, for Boston Marathon director Will Cloney to disqualify Rosie Ruiz. With so much attention on the marathon and the investigation, he felt as though he needed proof beyond the shadow of a doubt. He needed something more concrete, like clear eyewitness testimony. John Faulkner, a Harvard
0: senior, was jogging by the marathon with his friend on April 21st. As they went past the crowd at Kenmore Square, they witnessed a woman in a yellow
1: shirt running strangely through the crowd. She entered the race in its final mile. Faulkner didn't think much of it at the time, assuming that someone would stop her or realize she would jumped into the race. The next morning, Faulkner opened
0: his copy of the Boston Globe and saw a photograph of Rosie Ruiz on the front page announcing her as the winner of the marathon. It was the same woman he
1: saw jump into the race. Faulkner initially didn't want to involve himself, but after cajoling from his roommates, he finally agreed to call the Boston Globe and tell a reporter what he'd seen.
0: Meanwhile in New York, another eyewitness reached out, Susan Morrow. The woman who had befriended Ruiz during the New York Marathon was watching the news
1: when a report about the Boston Marathon came on. Morrow immediately recognized the marathon winner as the same woman she'd met on the subway. As the news report continued, covering the controversy around Ruiz's finish, Morrow began to feel nervous. She didn't know what to do. After some deliberation, Morrow decided to contact the New York Times. The next day
0: on Wednesday, April 23rd, the Boston Globe published John Faulkner's eyewitness account. Early that morning, reporters and news vans arrived at Harvard
1: eager to interview him. That night, the New York marathon director told reporters that he didn't believe Ruiz could even run one mile at the pace she claimed to have run an entire marathon. With evidence against her mounting,
0: Rosie Ruiz called a press conference the next day. Her only ally, Steve Merrick, stood beside her and warned reporters ahead of time that he'd end the press conference if it
1: turned into a carnival. Susan Morrow attended the press conference at the invitation of a New York Times reporter. The reporter asked Morrow if Ruiz was the woman she'd seen riding the subway during the New York Marathon. Morrow said, without question, it was the same woman. As cameras snapped, Rosie Ruiz stood in front of a skeptical crowd of reporters. Despite Merrick's warning, the reporters were noisy and hostile. Given the published account of John Faulkner, many of the reporters expected Ruiz to confess, admit that she'd cheated, and end the entire controversy. Instead, with a slight smirk on her face, Rosie Ruiz once again insisted that she'd run the race.
0: Moreover, she blamed the media for the controversy, claiming their coverage was unfair and that any unknown runner who won the marathon would be subjected
1: to the same scrutiny and skepticism that she was. Although Ruiz continued to vociferously deny the allegations of cheating, the tide was already turning against her. And it wouldn't be long before her entire house of cards came tumbling down.
0: Thanks again for listening to Sports Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two of Rosie Ruiz's story. We'll see how her story eventually crumbled
1: and how her life was affected after the truth was revealed. You can find all episodes of Sports Criminals and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast Originals like Sports Criminals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Sports Criminals on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Sports Criminals in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Sports Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Stephen Davies with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Sports Criminals was written by Ryan Lee with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and stars Tim Johnson and Carter Roy.